0: We're now debating after birth abortion, India and Pakistan are on the brink of war, and two boys win girls track state championships. This is Project Command. Standby, Power Translator. X minus 10, nine, eight, seven, six, 5 One, zero. Well, like I said, we're going to be talking about abortion, war, and trans in sports. But first, you're probably thinking, hey, we're in Canada, and there was kind of a huge story last night. Well, there's the SNC case that could lead, possibly, to our Prime Minister resigning. I'm actually going to do a podcast on just that story, and it's going to come out today, um, probably around lunchtime. So it is going to be two podcasts today, so pay attention and look out for that second podcast It's going to be coming out in just a couple hours. That's going to be completely just about that story. In the meantime, today we're going to be talking about three other stories. I actually write my stories on Wednesday. And in the case of the SNC, well, that just blew up last night. And I already had other stories written. And it really, even today, I want to look in and see what had happened overnight. So as always, you can check my website for more information. And I'd find out more about, um, from my blog and from past podcasts and from videos. All right, but we're going to jump into today's. So, it's 2009, and you're sitting in your class at Princeton University. You're studying to be a doctor. This class is bioethics. You're studying the ethic questions doctors must ask themselves. Your professor is Peter Singer. You shuffle in, find your seat, and get your computer out ready to take notes. This class is always an interesting class. And you have never thought before about all the ethical questions you need to answer as a doctor. Today's discussion is going to be a hot topic. We're talking abortion. You look over to the girl two seats over and one row ahead of you. She's the only one in the class willing to say she's pro-life. Although you're sure there are a few other people like yourself who hope they never have to actually perform an abortion. You couldn't do it. Behind you are four girls and two boys who are extremely vocal about being pro-choice. For a minute you wonder if sitting in between these two is really a good idea, but you settle in and prepare for the class. Peter Singer is already in front of the class. His white hair is frizzy and thinning. He's old, but you can tell he was probably a pretty good-looking guy in his prime. Then the lecture starts. The central argument against abortion, put as a formal argument, would go something like this. First premise, it is wrong to kill an innocent human being. Second premise, a human fetus is an innocent human being. Conclusion: Therefore, it is wrong to kill a human fetus. You look down and over at the girl in front of you. She seems to be in agreement, and you've heard her arguments before. And yes, that does seem to sum up all of her arguments. Don't kill human beings. A human fetus is an innocent human being. So stop killing the innocent human beings. The group behind you is laughing. They clearly think this is a stupid argument. And you hear one girl say under her breath, A fetus isn't a human being. It's just a lump of cells. Okay, here we go. It's about to blow up. Your professor continues. The usual liberal response is to deny the second premise of this argument. So it is on whether the fetus is a human being that the issue is joined. And the dispute about abortion is often taken to be a dispute about when human life begins. On this issue, the conservative position is difficult to shake. The conservative points out to the continuum between the fertilized egg and the child, and challenges the liberal to point to any stage in this gradual process that marks a morally significant dividing line. Unless there is such a line, the conservative says we must either upgrade the status of the earliest embryo to that of a child or downgrade the status of the child to that of an embryo. But no one wants to allow children to be dispatched on the request of their parents. And so the only tenable position is to grant the fetus the protection that we now grant the child. Wait, what? The girl in front of you seems surprised as well. Your professor just acknowledged that the fetus is, in fact, a human being and is in reality significantly as human as a child. The students behind you are strangely quiet as well. This is not really going the way anyone thought it would go. Professor Kinsinger continues. The liberal search for a morally crucial dividing line between the newborn baby and the fetus has failed to yield any event or stage of development that can bear the weight of separating those with a right to life from those who lack such a right. In a way that clearly shows fetuses to be in a latter category, at the stage of development when most abortions take place, the conservative is on solid ground in insisting that the development from the embryo to the infant is a gradual process. You hear the boy behind you say, what? The pro-life girl in front of you literally has her jaw open in disbelief. Peter Singer has just said the argument the pro-life has invalid and that they have strong ground. We are, in fact, killing innocent human beings when we abort. But the prof continues, and it does not take long for the pro-life girl in front of you to realize Peter Singer is not, in fact, on her side. He continues to agree that there is no moral difference between killing a fetus and killing a baby. However, his conclusion is then that we should make infanticide legal. He begins to explain that until a child is about the age of two or maybe even three, that child should not have the right to personhood and should not and should be allowed to be aborted. He justifies this by saying until a human has self-awareness, A human is not a person. Everyone, even the radical pro-choice group behind you, is noticeably uncomfortable. We're talking about killing two and three-year-old children. This is not the lecture you were expecting. Peter Singer then says that society is not ready to accept the killing of two or three-year-olds. However, it is time to start pushing for the legalization of abortion up to a month after birth, you look around at your fellow students. In 10 years, these will be the doctors making choices about abortion. These will be doctors from Princeton, the ones everybody respects. What will the world be like in 10 years? Well, fast forward to 2019, 10 years later. New York passes a law allowing abortion at any point during pregnancy. This is met with cheers and the city literally lights up in pink to celebrate. That is followed by Virginia governor saying on the radio that a child who is born should be kept comfortable while the doctor and the mother decide what they're going to do with it, whether they will abort it or not. Already born, currently being held comfortable, will they abort it or not? That is followed by the Senate refusing to pass a law that would force abortion doctors to save the life of a baby who survives an abortion by taking that baby to a hospital. People are outraged and confused. How did this happen? How did we get to a place in society where we have a generation of people, a generation of doctors who are totally fine with killing a baby even after it's born? But just a reminder. The bioethics class that they sat in said to start with a newborn, then a month old child. But the ultimate goal is a three or four year old. Peter Singer really is a bioethics teacher in Princeton. And what I have read to you were exact quotes from him. He really is teaching this and has been for more than a decade. And we are now living with the impact of these classes. Now the good thing is, and yes, there really is a good thing, in the states it's now 47% for abortion and 47% against abortion with a 6% undecided. This has been a big move towards the pro-life argument and this big move happened in just the last month. Why? Why this big shift in the last month? Well, when you start talking about aborting a child that's already born, that's not something the public agrees on. But then you have to ask the question, if I don't want a baby killed who has been born, is there really a difference between that and a baby who's about to be born? No, clearly there's not. So so when is it okay? At what point does it start being acceptable? And at what point does it start being evil? Well, when you ask yourself that question, it gets harder. In the States, over 70%, Say, any abortion after the first three months is immoral. But even that is changing. Because who are you to draw the line as to when that human being should be protected? Because the truth is, Peter Singer is right. There is no moral difference between killing a toddler and a fetus. So your choice is this. Stop killing fetuses or be completely cool with killing toddlers. If you want more information on abortion, please go to my website, lauraleesiemens.com, check out my video series, so go on the video link, and then on the video link under series, click on the abortion debate. You can click on these videos, and each of these videos answers a question or a statement pro-choice people have about the pro-life argument. Study those videos and prepare yourself so that you can stand for life. All right, that is the first story we're tackling today. There is another story that seems to be kind of touched on in the media, but isn't being covered huge, even though it's actually kind of a big deal. Currently, India and Pakistan are on the verge of a war, or maybe a better way of saying it is escalating a war that they've actually been in since 1971. Or actually, even more precise, the war that they've been in since the 7th century, To understand this war, we have to go back in time, and I mean all the way back. There's really four dominating religions in the world today. Yes, there's many, many religions, but if you look at the dominating religions, we really have four. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Hindus. Of all of those religions that we have, Hindus are actually the oldest religion. We don't know exactly when they started, but as an organized religion that is still in effect today, Hindus are the oldest. Judaism is the next oldest of the four dominating religions. That dates back to the covenant God made with Abraham. Abraham had Isaac, had Ishmael and Isaac. God passed that covenant onto Isaac. Isaac had Esau and Jacob. God passed that covenant onto Jacob, changed his name to Israel, and his 12 sons became the 12 sons of Israel. Israel would later be divided into Israel and Judah, and that's why we have the term Jew. And the term israelite both are tribes dating back to jacob jesus came through the jews and as christians we believe he is the messiah the jews have been waiting for jesus is the christ christ literally means saving one and after jesus died and rose again his followers began to spread his message of salvation they were called little christs which is translated christians islam came many years later about 600 years After Christianity was created, Muhammad and his followers came to Medina and tried to convert Jews and Christians. When they refused, they took them by force, making them convert, pay a tax, or die. This is actually from teaching in the Quran, chapter 9, verse 29, and I'll read that for you. It says, until they pay the Jesuit, that's a tax, with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. But while we all know at least some of the history of Islam and Christianity... We don't know enough, but at least we know that there is a history. Most of us are not aware of the history of Hindus and Islam. India was very rich at the time of Muhammad, and he had his eyes set on them. In the Sunnah, it says in um, 125 5177, apparently there's a lot of verses in that one, um, and I'm quoting here two groups of my Umam, and that is the Muslims, whom Allah will free from the fire the group that invades India, and the group that will be with Jesus. Now, if you are shocked by hearing Jesus, don't be. As you study Islam, you find out Jesus is actually a main character in Islam. But they believe he was a prophet. They believe he did not claim to be God, and he did not rise again. He will come back at some point, and he will fight for Allah. This, of course, is according to the Quran, not actual truth. And then he will kill all the Christians who have corrupted his message. And the literal wording for this in the Quran is that he will break the cross. And that's why you hear ISIS using this term that they are going to break the cross. It comes from this um, part of the Quran where they talk about Jesus returning to kill all the Christians. Jesus will also then kill all the pigs on the whole earth. That's just a side note. And then lastly, he will kill all the Jews. So, when you see Jesus in the Quran... This is not the Jesus Christian serve at all, this is a made up version by Muhammad. Anyway, what we can see in this passage is also about India. Islam has its sights set on India from all the way back to the beginning uh, of Islam. Now, some people will say that this verse in the Sunnah is not one that Muslims trust. However, it is called Hassan and that means good evidence. And is labeled as a true Islamic teaching in Islamic um, world so this verse is used um, and is accepted by the Sunni and the Shiite and the term that they use here I am not going to pronounce this right because I'm horrible at pronouncing anything Arabic Gaza e Hind. and I'm going to put that word in the show notes so that you can see it and to get an idea of how Islamists think about India take this term and put it into Twitter to Twitter search or a YouTube search some seriously disgusting racist things show up I had no idea how racist they were towards people from India until I looked this up and I have no idea how Twitter lets it stay up anyway so back to history in the seventh century Islam invaded India and killed tons of people temples were destroyed people were taken into slavery and so those who were allowed to live they had to pay a tax or convert because you have to pay tax, convert or be killed. This lasted from the 7th century until the year 1759. So for 7, for 1752 years, 1752 years. India was ruled by different forms of Islamic rulers. And during this time, uh, up to 800 million Hindus were killed by islamists it was during this time that sikhism was created by this guy named guru nanak also once again i'm not great with middle eastern names so i didn't pronounce that right but anyway this guy guru nanak he merged hinduism and islam into a religion so this religion believed in one god which would kind of um helped with keeping islam's islamists from killing them but that god was really mystical and our existence is more like a dream so that Part of it is more like Hinduism. So, if you're ever like looking at Sikhs and trying to figure out are they Muslim or are they Hindu, they're both. They kind of took Hinduism and Islam and kind of merged it into one religion during the time when India was being controlled by Islam. So, once India had re established itself as a free country um, practicing Hinduism, Pakistan at that point became a separate country. And that is where Islam continued to rule. However, Kashmir is divided. So half belongs to India and is Hindu, and the other half belongs to Pakistan and is Islamic. It's not a great place to live in Kashmir. They've been at war for, like, forever. So now, before we delve into this week's news, we have to look at just one more thing. We have to understand before you can look at this week's news. Islamic teaching teaches that there will be four great wars with India, and then, after the fourth war, India will be once and for all Islamic. Once India is conquered, the next thing to be conquered will be Rome, and after that will be Jerusalem. So Islamists who follow this prophecy are actually praying for war with India, because they have already there's already been three great wars. So if there's just one more war, that is the fourth and final one. And according to this prophecy, once India is conquered, The next would be Rome, and of course the ultimate goal for every Muslim, Jerusalem. Okay, so what happened this week? Well, 12 days ago, an Islamic terrorist group called Jeshi-e-Mohammed attacked India, and a suicide bomber killed 40 Indian soldiers. There was also a suicide attack by the same group in Iran. So this terrorist group, Jeshi-e-Mohammed, had two Pretty major um, suicide terrorist attacks uh, within the last two weeks. And if you're thinking, wait, why didn't we hear about that in the news? Probably because there's so many Islamic terrorist attacks that happen all the time that the news just won't cover all of them. Because if they did, we might not believe that it's a, you know, religion of peace. Anyway, there was also, um, so both of these attacks were very, very large attacks. And this group, Jeshi al Muhammad, is supported financially by the Pakistan government. And also, by the way, through back channels, our Canadian government supports this group. Because Islamic charities here in Canada that receive federal funding are also financial backers of this terrorist group. So, you know, if you're wondering why you pay so much taxes and where it all goes, it goes to, you know, stuff like this. Anyway, India is going to have an election in the next two months. And there's a call to the current government asking them what they're going to do about this attack that killed those 40 Indian soldiers. So, this week, India retaliated with an airstrike aimed at the terrorist group, uh, the camp where this group, um, Jashi-e-Mohammed, is stationed. So this group has its camp on the Pakistan-controlled area of Kashmir. So remember, Kashmir is half controlled by India and is Hindu, and the other half is controlled by Pakistan and is Islamic. So, the Indian government had an airstrike where this camp is, which is in Kashmir, on the Pakistan-controlled part of it. So, in order to do that, in order for them to have an airstrike over that, they had to fly into the airspace that is controlled by Pakistan. India then um, had two of their planes were hit by Pakistan. So, Pakistan shot down two of their planes and then captured the pilots. One of those pilots was then pictured later blindfolded and very bloody. And he is being held captive in um, Pakistan. So India has said it will retaliate against Pakistan for shooting down its planes and for taking its pilots captives. So, quick sum up here. Uh, Islam and Hindus, they've been fighting since the beginning. India was controlled for a long time by Muslims. They fought back, got their own freedom. Pakistan then became separate from India and is completely um, Muslim, whereas India is mostly Hindu. Then there is the one area, Kashmir, which is divided in half. Half is controlled by India, half is controlled by Pakistan. The Pakistan side has an Islamic terrorist group, which had two major attacks, one in Iran and one in India. India is having an election. So the people said, hey, India, government, if we're going to vote for you, you need to do something about the terrorists that killed 40 of our soldiers. So India sent a plane over um, to hit the camp where the terrorists are. But in order to do that, they had to fly into Pakistan's controlled area of Kashmir. Pakistan then shot down two of the Indian planes and took their pilots. India is really mad about that and says that they're going to retaliate. And also, just for another important information, India and Pakistan both have nuclear weapons. So, you know, that's a little bit concerning. So what do we do? Well, we wait and we'll see what happens. But maybe you're listening to this and you have some questions. And you're thinking, where did I learn all of these things? Because um, where did I learn about how Islam teaches about India? Well, I have a bunch of sources. But I want to know the one that I would send you to is the apostate prophet. So he is an ex-Muslim, but he was actually a radical Islamic He was part of a radical Islamic group before he left Islam. He's an atheist, so he's not looking at the conflict or the history from a Christian or from a Hindu point of view. So he's just looking at it and he explains um, the history of Islam and especially when it comes to the fighting that they have between Pakistan and India. You may also be asking, do you think Hindus did nothing wrong during this time period? Yes, I know there's quite a bit of history about Hindus. That is actually very disturbing. I'm actually going to be covering a lot of that this summer in a new podcast I have coming out on church history, and we're going to dive more into the history of Hindus and Christianity in that podcast. So be listening so that you're ready, so when I let you know that that new podcast is coming out, you can subscribe. All right, so we've covered abortion. We've covered Islamic terror, and we've covered the Indian-Pakistan war. So just in case we're not politically incorrect enough, we're going to look at transgenders in sports. So I figure why not make the whole podcast something that's going to make everybody hate me. All right, so transgender high school sophomores, uh, Terry and Andrea, they came in first and second place in the 100 meter race at the state open finals in June 4th. So boys, because regardless of how they feel about themselves, they are in fact boys, raced against girls and won. Now that should not shock anyone because news flash, boys are bigger and faster than girls. And if, you're in, if in your imagination you're a girl, that doesn't suddenly make you smaller and slower. Girls have shorter legs than boys, Girls have about two thirds of the muscle mass that uh, um, boys do and this is why it's against the rules for girls to take testosterone when they're competing because taking testosterone will in fact give them male strength. What's happening in sports is simply wrong. Girls have worked hard to get to the place where they are competing especially if they're competing at a state champion level. I have a daughter that's a track athlete and I've seen her practice at the track when it's extremely hot. I mean it was so hot one time we ended up On the way home, we pulled over so she could run through a sprinkler on a random person's lawn because she was so overheated I was worried she was going to pass out. I've seen her practice at a truck when it's cold and raining to the point where the rain feels like ice pellets. She practices three or four times a week for many hours all year long. The girls who are at a state level are training this hard and even harder. So to have medals stolen from them by a boy is just wrong. This is much more than just a race. It's much more than just medals. For most of these girls, this is how they're going to college. They're working hard so they can get scholarships to university. I know that's my daughter's plan to go to school in the States with a scholarship. The girls who did not medal but came in fourth or fifth, they didn't just get a medal taken away from them. They potentially had scholarships and therefore college taken away from them. I'm not the only person who feels this is unfair. There's another girl named Martina. She's a female gay athlete who is a tennis pro. She's actually won the Grand Slam 18 times. And she called out transgenders in female sports. She said it's cheating. Plain and simple. It's just cheating. Martina was then, she was at the time, the head of the LGBT sports group. And she was fired and she was kicked out for saying this. So the LGBT are now attacking lesbians if they say boys, should not compete as girls because it's just obviously not fair. So I will probably be called a bigot for saying this, but let me be clear. I believe you can do whatever you want. If you're a boy and you feel like a girl, go ahead, dress like a girl, change your name. I don't care. It's none of my business. But do not show up at a girl's sporting event and demand that everyone allow you to compete. This is not the only horrible unfair transgender story there's a story of the abused woman who was who she'd been raped and then she and also had been beaten so then she moved to a women's shelter for safety this was in Toronto she was safe and felt safe until a man with a beard who wore big work boots and talked to his pregnant girlfriend on the phone was suddenly moved into her bedroom as a roommate because this clearly obvious man called himself a woman When the woman who was abused complained and said she didn't feel safe, she was told she was committing a hate crime by complaining. That's an over-the-top crazy story. But there's also a story of a man who claimed to be a woman, but then went to get his genitalia waxed. He went to waxing studios that were run by women out of their homes. And the studios were women-only studios because these women worked out of their home. When the women saw his... You know what? They told him to leave and that they would not wax it. And now he is suing them. So call me a bigot if you need to. But just so you know, I self-identify as a normal sane person. So you have to respect that. All right. Wow. Our world is a total mess. So I'm going to end how I always end with hope. God loves us. Yes, this messed up world. God loves us. He loves us so much. He took the punishment for our sin. What's sin? It's when we do things our way instead of God's way. That's how our world ended up like this. But when we tell God that we're sorry, and when we believe that Jesus is God, and he alone can save us, when we ask him to, he will. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. For more blogs videos, and podcasts. Check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com.